1: get it going man challenge summer edition this is the first um, my first um, my first time as far as man challenges the summer because I don't believe that we have offered this before Burke have, is this first year all right here we go man let's let's get after it and we're gonna have a really a, a good time I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys okay I was really really embarrassed to even share this story um, but then I figured that it has happened to a couple people before. So I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand and if it has, welcome to my welcome to my world. We had just been married for a year, okay? And we got a, um, Tammy and I got a, a refrigerator. Somebody bought us a refrigerator, brand new, okay? When you get something when you've only been married a few months, you, you can't wait to see it. So man, I, I go home really quickly, I'm looking at this refrigerator and um, it's not cold. And, and so, I'm, I'm starting to freak out. Tammy, we got a brand new refrigerator. What are you gonna do? So I'm gonna call the place. I called the place, um, and here, nice lady. I'm talking about a nice lady on the phone. Here's what she says. Sir, Mr. Morgan, do me a favor. Um, go to your refrigerator and open it up. So I go to the refrigerator, I open it up. She said, is there a light on? No ma'am, no ma'am, no, ma'am. no light, it's not on. I'm a, little, I'm a little frustrated. Brand new refrigerator, light on? No, no. Do me a favor, Mr. Morgan. Can you pull the refrigerator out? So I pull the refrigerator out. It's on wheels. It's not that heavy. Mr. Morgan, can you go to the back of the refrigerator? There's a a black cord. Can you grab that black cord? I grab the black cord. I look at it. Yes, yes, ma'am. I got the black cord. Can you follow it all the way to the wall? Follow it all the way to the wall. Is it plugged in? Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate the call know if you if that's happened to you you don't have to admit it but that we there's importance of being plugged in there's a big importance of being plugged in and that is what here with man child that's what our hope is and that is what our prayer is that we will all be plugged in plugged into a couple things real quick plugged into god's word you've heard it several times you've heard it so much from a stage and especially with ronnie myself and everybody else that comes up here the the words Um, Competent and confident. An easier way, if you're anything like a former athlete that's maybe not that smart, it's just knowing. It's just knowing God's Word, and we don't know that without spending time in it. And when we spend time in God's Word, when we're plugged into His Word, we start to learn it. We become competent. And then we become confident in sharing it. When you know something, you feel confident talking about it. So that's what our desire is, to be plugged into God's word. Another thing is to be plugged in with other guys. If I were going to be 100% transparent with you, that's one of the reasons I, I took this job. I didn't need another job with FCA, but I wanted to be part, you know why? Because I wanted to be plugged in with men in our church. I need this. I need to be plugged in in your all's lives. I need you. So to be plugged into God's word, to be plugged in with other men within our church, And also to be plugged into our church. Our church, we need our church and our church um, needs us. We're going to look at in the summer, this summer, we're going to look at spiritual gifts. I'm going to be honest, it's not talked about a whole lot. It's not for a variety of reasons. People kind of skip over spiritual gifts. We're not going to run from it. We're going to run to it. And for the next month, What we're gonna do is we're gonna come here every Thursday and we're gonna circle around God's word. And we're gonna see what God's word has to say about this subject. He's not quiet. He's very loud on this, okay? So we're gonna look at it. And here's basically what we're gonna go through. Who gives the gifts? What are the gifts? Once we know our gifts, what's the roles and the risks with those gifts? And once we have those gifts, we know what those gifts are. We know the roles and the risk. We want to be unleashed in our church to serve. So the whole city and everyone knows that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what we want to do. Hey, at the end of Sam's message, I think the tables are starting to... But we're doing this a little different, okay? We're, you're not, we're creatures by habit. So we come in here, we're used to going to our same tables, our same people. There's some new people here. So I challenge you. Um, at the end of Sam's message, we're going to have a time where we get together, and we kind of just talk about what he just talked about. And, and so, if you're sitting by yourself or just a couple, if you have room in another table, you want to bounce over there. It's going to be a it's going to be a great time. All right. So I'm going to bring out Sam at this moment. Y'all give it up for Sam Reader. Man, it's good to be back, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Those two those weeks two, off. Yeah. Those two weeks, man. I don't know what you all did with your. Um, you're two weeks that we didn't show up on Thursday but I would love to know what a guy like Sam Reeder does on a Thursday when you're not meeting for man challenge
0: really just same thing as the other days just get up super early quiet time get on the treadmill that's about it Nothing. treadmill guy how long Uh, I mean not as long as it should be 30 minutes 40 minutes max yeah
1: one one question we're gonna pray it up. I know you're like a you're like a horse man in the gate waiting to go. All <laughs> right. So one one question I want as summer approaches, tell us one thing that you want to make sure that you do with your family throughout this summer. What's one thing you want to do? Whether it's a two day deal, one day deal, a week deal. What do you want to do with your family?
0: Man, I, I probably should have a real fancy Christ exalting answer to this, but the truth is just go fishing some more. We haven't done that very much. My oldest is four and my goal is this year, he can cast it himself, reel it. That would be awesome. Uh, My parents redid their pond. They have some land out in Bullitt County and uh, if we could just spend more time outside, that's one thing. Probably another thing is uh, connect with our neighbors. We have a lot of neighbor kids where we live and with COVID just, Things are awkward, I feel like, when you go and meet people, uh, and it's finally starting to feel more normal. So just to get out and plug into our, our community right where we live would be awesome.
1: I nothing think. wrong with going to Florida, but there's nothing wrong with staying at home. Yeah, and
0: yeah. Well, Florida, too. We want to do that, yeah. too. So.
1: Let me pray for this yep. brother. We'll get at it. Father, I thank, you for, um, I thank you for this body. I thank you for these men. Um, they got up this morning um, to circle around your word. Lord, I'm grateful for, for Sam in his friendship. Lord, I, I pray today as he, um, as he shares on this topic, I know this has been heavy on his heart for months, and I know he's super excited to share. But Lord, I, I just pray that he realizes he doesn't have to be motivational, he doesn't have to be inspiring, it just needs to be clear. And so Father, anyone that stands up to share your word, God, I pray that they'll just be clear. God, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear um, your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Good morning.
0: I would love for you guys to just take a moment and and think about the following question. Which role in the church is most important? If you have one of those booklets and you turn to week one, there's a little area, says reflection question, and there are blank lines, and that's so that if you have a pen, you can write an answer down. Uh, be brave, do this. Which role in the church, which position, which title, which office is most important if you had to pick one? And you don't, you don't have to qualify this, you don't have to defend your answer, let's just pick one. And then in a moment, I'm going to ask a couple of you all to be brave and share your answers and we're just going to we're just going to learn together. Uh, this week we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, but as we study spiritual gifts, there's really four primary passages of scripture that speak at length about speak at length on this topic. So that's Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 and 1 Peter 4. So that's where we're gonna spend our time for four weeks. Nothing fancy, we're just gonna read those passages of scripture and study them. So you've had a moment, which role in the church, which title is most important? Burke, give me one. Uh, what elders? elders, elders, that's good. Dane, I see you walk in, Dane in here. What you got? Preacher, Preacher I like that. Anybody got something different? Your role. What was that? Your role. My role, pharmacist, okay. All right, Ronnie's actually not here. He had a very important commitment to his oldest child last night, so he's out of town, so no one has to you know say men's pastor, but Chris is here, and you could put associate men's be careful abbreviating that that's a Ronnie joke uh, yeah, so yeah, which role in the church is most important so if you think about that, like really we we. We have different answers on this. We have different opinions. And the text we're gonna study today talks about roles in the church and the organization, the structure of the church. And just thinking about this for a moment is helpful because it reveals we have some baggage that we're gonna take with us to the text. This is inevitable. It's hard to lay our baggage aside. But as we go to the text, we always have preconceived ideas. We have experiences. We have preferences that we bring to it. So as best we can, the next few weeks, I'm just going to challenge us to try to lay that aside. And as we go to God's word, try to just let it wash us and just let it speak for itself. And we'll see if we can glean some wisdom and see what God's instruction and, and, and design is. And let's be sanctified by it. So if you will, open up your Bibles. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter four this week, or if you use the Bible app, turn to that. Ephesians chapter four. And as we go through this, just very simply, this is a letter that Paul wrote to a a group of believers, the saints, the Christians, the followers of Christ in a town called Ephesus. Uh, And as we've translated this Greek letter to English, we divide it into chapters and add punctuation and all sorts of things that make it understandable to the way we speak and talk. Uh, and so there's six chapters as we see it in, in, the letter to the Ephesians and kind of big picture. The first half of the letter is primarily about identity it is about who we are. The second half is primarily about what we're called to do. So it's the indicative before the impairment, what God has done and what he calls us to do, how to live. So we are going to pick up in this letter right at the turn of that, right at the start of chapter four. So if you're there, let's just read. I'll be in the ESV, uh, but I'll I'll, I'll reference NIV as well. But Ephesians four, starting in verse one, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the call to which you have been called. So Paul opens right away and says, this is how we're meant to live. He identifies himself as a prisoner for the Lord. He had opened the letter identifying as an apostle. And he says, this is how we are meant to walk. This is how we're meant to live. Let's continue on. He says in verse two, with all humility, with gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So catch some of that language that might sound somewhat familiar. Humility, gentleness, patience, peace, love. Sounds a lot like the fruit of the spirit, doesn't it? And so Paul's saying, how are you supposed to walk? How are you supposed to live as a church, as a body of believers together? It's meant to be fruitful. It's meant to be spirit led. We're supposed to be patient and loving with one another. And see what he says in verse three, eager to maintain the unity, eager to cultivate it, to keep it, to maintain it. Notice he doesn't say it originates with you. He doesn't say create unity. He says, maintain it. I think that's insightful because that tells us the unity that we're meant to have doesn't come from us, it comes from somewhere else. We're just supposed to fight for it, to maintain it. Hmm. So where does that unity come from? Let's just keep reading, verse four. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There are, primary truths, primary beliefs that unite us. And it is faith in a triune God. You can see that in this text, one spirit, one Lord, Jesus, one father. Paul has this perfect picture of our triune God and our faith in him, our one baptism into him, our one trust in him is what brings us together. And also let's just real quick count. How many times does he use the word one? One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one God, one baptism. Seven, you think that's an accident? So Paul is painting this picture of this perfectly complete, this whole oneness that is our God. And and, and, in light of our faith and trust in Him, we are meant to be united as a body of believers. And so this perfectly diverse God, Father, Son, and Spirit who is united, He is perfectly united yet diverse. What does he do? Verse seven, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he gives each one of us to various degrees as Christ apportions it. So a diverse God gives diverse gifts. Isn't that profound? Isn't that fitting? And he gives them to each one of us diversely. Hmm. So we each have a role to play and it's fitting that Christ would give it in that way. In, in the kingdom of God, we have to recognize that standards are different than what we experience in this world. Like oftentimes in, in our culture, if there is a diversity in opinion and thought and belief, division, sorry, diversity leads to division. But in God's design, diversity is, a, is an opportunity for beauty. Unity in God does not mean uniformity in the church. It doesn't mean we're all supposed to look alike and sound alike and do the same things in the same ways. We're meant to be very diverse. And as you look around the room, we're meant to be diverse. And an illustration of this, uh, my friend, Joey, about four and a half years ago, Joey and his friend came to Man Challenge, didn't know anybody here. They met a guy named Glenn who serves in our host team, Glenn Harder who is a, a, a man who I believe truly is gifted in hospitality. Glenn welcomes everyone in that walks through that door. And so he welcomes Joey in, gets some information, brings Joey to my table, says, hey, Sam, you got a couple open seats? We did, Joey sat down. And for the next few years, Joey was on my radar, but he, he started this graduate program, got really busy, disappeared for a while, but I just tried to be faithful and encourage him. Hey, man, I get it. I went through some tough school. I get it, certain seasons are busy but hey, you're always welcome. And I would just try to keep tabs on Joey. So this last semester, Joey came back into the fold as it were. He was finishing up his program. he had recently got engaged and wanted to, wanted to meet a pastor here who could maybe marry them. So he got connected with a pastor on staff named Tim. And Tim and his wife have been walking with Joey and Caitlin, uh, discipling them, doing some premarital counseling for the past number of months. And the last week of man challenge, Joey said to us, uh, just how grateful he was that people had poured into him and how he knew he loved his bride to be before, but now knows he's gonna love her so much better and in God-honoring ways. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Tim got to baptize Joey and Caitlin and here in just a couple weeks, he's gonna marry him. And so look, Glenn's role in that story, my role in that story, Tim's role in that story was all very different. And we are, for the most part, gifted in different ways, the three of us but God worked through different gifts, all to encourage Joey to build him up, to mature him, to sanctify him and to glorify God. So diversity doesn't mean division in the church. Diversity should mean beauty when Christ is the head. And so let's continue in the text. It says in verse eight, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men and saying he ascended what does it mean but also that he descended into the lower regions the earth he who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things and that can sound real wordy and weird but essentially what paul does here is he he quotes an old testament psalm psalm 68 and he does something interesting with this that i think we need to catch if you were to go back and read psalm 68 it's clearly about god the father And he takes that and he interprets it through the lens of Jesus. And he's like, well, if if there was one who ascended, that means they must've descended at some point. And I know of one who came down to earth and in light of that went back up and is ruling and reigning over all. And he interprets it in light of of Jesus, the person work of Jesus. And he does that we see under the influence, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This passage is so stinking Trinitarian, it's wild. Why is that important to note? As we are talking about the gifts this week and really for a month here, maybe this is only corrective for me, but I'm gonna guess it's not. I I think there is a real tendency to hyper-focus on the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Spirit is at work in the gifts, but so is Jesus and so is the Father. Paul has no problem talking about the other members of the Trinity. In in 1 Corinthians 12, he says there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There's different services, the same Lord, different workings, but in all of them, the same God at work. He has no problem talking about any one of them. And as we'll see, he says that Christ gives the gifts here in this passage. So the reason I, I pause to say that, as Paul does, is if we're gonna think about the gifts, if we're gonna talk about the gifts rightly, that is biblically, we need to include all members of our triune God because that, that's what Paul does. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they're all active in every redemptive act. What the Father purposes, the Son accomplishes, the Spirit applies. What the Father planned, the Son purchases, the, the Spirit preserves. This is part of our core beliefs in what unite us. And so we see now in verse 11, we finally get to the bid on the gifts. He, or it may say in NIV that Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. So these are sometimes referred to as the fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teachers, sometimes it's abbreviated apest. If you look at the Greek, it's most likely four offices and those last two are combined a shepherd teacher, a pastor teacher. We'll talk about why that is in a moment. But before we even get into this, let me just acknowledge, if you look at the the history of the church, not Southeast, but the big church, universal, when it comes to this, there are very different ways to not only interpret what Paul is saying here, but to apply and how it would function or, or play out in the life of the church. And so what we do with this, could potentially be very divisive this morning. So what, what, what I really want us to do this week and the week's coming is to really seek clarity on this topic that for, I think probably most of us, it seems to be confusing. Let's seek clarity, but let's also do it with a spirit of charity. In places and spaces where the text is very clear, let's be clear and where it's not, let's not. Where it's quiet, let's be quiet. And let's have a spirit of charity for our brothers either at our table or in other denominations who may disagree with us on some of these secondary things. What is essential is our faith and trust in the one God of the Bible. So I'm gonna talk through real briefly each of these offices, likely what Paul is saying about them, but then what I want us to do today in our discussion time and especially this week in our homework, yes, there's homework. If you didn't grab a booklet, grab one on your way out. Because we're meant to grow. We're going to try to really dig in for the next few weeks. What I want you to do is to, I'm going to give you a lens to think through and think. If that's what an evangelist does, does is there maybe something in me that that corresponds with that? And and to use that as a lens to try to see what the Spirit, what the Lord, what the Father is doing or wants to do in and through you. Does that make sense? Fair enough. So apostles. Uh, Paul uses the word apostles three times in this letter, and it seems most likely what he means by that is a small group of, of, of men that Jesus directly commissioned to start the church. And most likely, the majority of them were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. So you might think of the 12 disciples, Judas kills himself, he's replaced an ax, Paul has met on the road to Damascus. There's a few other individuals who are mentioned by name who are referenced as apostles in the New Testament. So it's probably a group of like 20 dudes, roughly, that, that served as pioneers in the early church to start the church of Jesus. And, and they, would, they would be oftentimes entrepreneurs who, who would go into virgin territory and take the kingdom of God into dark places. So uh, are, are there apostles today That's a fair question. Of our leaders in our church, I don't know any of them that go by the title apostle. I don't know an apostle Kyle or an apostle Tim. And there's some that would believe that today, but what I want us to think about for our purposes here is through the lens of if an apostle was a pioneer who, who would take the gospel to virgin territory, if that's what an apostolic ministry looked like, could you think through that lens for yourself? That there, there's, a, there's an elder on, or not on staff, there's an elder here, a lay elder named Doug. Doug's part of a ministry currently that is actively translating the Bible into new languages that it's not been translated into. Intentionally so, so that they might take it to those people groups who've never heard it because it's not in their language and give them the word of God for the very first time. Doug would not refer to himself as an apostle, but that sure sounds like an apostolic ministry to me. If we're to think charitably about this and just through that lens, if that's helpful, that may be a way that, that we could see the spirit has empowered and gifted Doug specifically. Maybe that maybe that stirs something in your heart. So that's apostles. Next was prophets. Likely Paul is referring to not only the Old Testament prophets who wrote a lot of the Old Testament, but also there's a number of places where Paul himself interacts with prophets in the book of Acts. You can read all about that as well. Oftentimes when we hear prophet, we think prophecy and our next thought is end of the world prediction for the future, right? But although that was sometimes the case with prophets, the vast majority of the time, if you read through the writings, they were calling the people of God to repentance. They were simply a spokesman for God. They were a walking human megaphone for the Lord to call his people unapologetically to turn from sin, to pursue holiness. And a lot of times there would be like this, this prophetic, this revelatory information that he would give them that would stun the people around them because they would think, there's no way he could have known that. That had to be the Lord. And so an example of this, uh, there have been now countless times that the Lord has put a man at my man challenge table, a friend on my heart randomly, and I'll text him and just say, hey man, got you on my heart, how you doing? And they'll say, dude, how did you know? I am in such a low point right now. Like, how did you know? Were you, were you just on your face praying? I'm like, no, nah, I was at the urinal at work. I don't know. Like the Lord put you on my heart. I don't know how to explain it. Like true story. Or, or I have a buddy who had a job interview coming up and, and I was planning on texting him a prayer text about the job interview. And as I was praying, I just found on my heart, like, would you help this guy to pursue reconciliation at home? Would you help him to lead his wife in grace? It was just on my heart, so I just sent it. And he texted me back and was like, Dude, the interview's tomorrow. Your timing's off. But last night, my wife and I got in this huge fight, and I am so annoyed, but you're right. I need to go make it right. I don't know how you knew that. And I'm like, I, I didn't know that, but that's the Lord. Does that make me a prophet? I don't know. I don't need a title. I'm a pharmacist, <laughs> I don't need a title. But certainly there was, there was a way that the Lord seemed to work prophetically through me to encourage someone else and to glorify himself. And I might not have the right title for that, but maybe that's a lens that stirs something in you. So apostles, prophets, evangelists. Uh, in scripture, this word for evangelist isn't used a lot. In the book of Acts, again, we've referenced that a bunch. There's a guy named Philip, who's referred to as Philip the evangelist. And one of Paul's letters to Timothy, he tells him, do the work of an evangelist. And that's about it. <laughs> So when we hear evangelists, likely you think Billy Graham. And so it's, hey, if, if you're not selling out Cardinal Stadium, you're probably not an evangelist. And that's not really helpful to think about it through that lens, I don't think. But an evangelist at its most simplest would be someone who was concerned with taking the gospel to the lost, to go to the lost and take the gospel to them. And through our modern day lens, you might think missionary. And from these basic definitions, it sounds like apostle. It sounds like evangelist. There's a lot of overlap here. Let's just be honest about it. It's not super clear with our context. But an evangelist, it seems to be someone who is gifted by the Lord and really good at taking the gospel to the lost. And oftentimes, what, what we see is these guys sometimes are really good at sales. Like guys who are very persuasive, guys who are really good communicators. I have a friend named Dustin. We have been uh, friends for a long, long time. And Dustin, I, I believe, has a gift of evangelism. Like, it's the wildest stories that he'll share. He and his wife buy a refrigerator, it's getting delivered to his house, and next thing you know, he's got the guy who's delivering the fridge, praying the sinner's prayer, they're crying, and they're getting baptized in the creek out back. And he tells me these stories, and I'm like, what in the world? Like, how does this happen? You put me with somebody, even at my man challenge table, where I'm super comfortable, that has never heard the gospel, and they're like, you believe Jesus was a man, and I'm like trying to explain the gospel, and I know I'm, I'm called to do it. We're all called to share our faith, but I start feeling weird, and I get in my head, and I feel uncomfortable, and I'm like, this isn't going good, and it's like an out-of-body experience, and Dustin just does it. It just pours out of him, and it just seems to be this way that the Lord has wired him and gifted him. Turns out he works in sales, too, but maybe that's a lens you can think through. Maybe there's experiences that that aligns with something you've experienced. Or, or you can think about the sphere of influence around you. Maybe there's somebody in your Sunday school class. Maybe there's someone who lives in your home. Maybe there's a neighbor. Maybe there's a, a man at, at your, in your DDG group who needs to be encouraged that, man, I don't know if you're a prophet, but I have seen the Lord work in this way, and you need to hear it because you need to lean in on that for the good of those around you. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, and now shepherd teachers. So again, in the Greek, most likely that is one term. I'm not going to get into it because I'm not a huge Greek expert, but you can research it yourselves. But let's, let's just talk about it charitably, and we'll say if they were two separate ones, let's talk about the difference. So a shepherd would most likely be someone who is, think about the heart. Who, who oversees and cares for a flock and compassionately loves and cares for the heart, sees the hearts of the flock. A teacher would be someone who would be taking the word of God and, and conveying it in a way, communicating in a way that it is palatable, that it is receivable, that you can understand, comprehend and, and receive it. And so we, we, we all know from experience that all truth with no love and care for the heart, it's pretty cold. But all all care and love and grace with no foundational truth is a slippery slope. It's really both and. And a picture of this, if you were at church this past week, I was just smiling because I was like, man, I need an example of this. And Terrence did it so perfect. So Terrence walked on stage, if you were there Sunday, and he said, hey, if you came in here not expecting something, you need to check your heart. Like if you're just going through the motions, showing up like, I'm glad you're here, but like you need to pause and check your heart. We are meant to come into this place expecting God to do something in us. Man, how pastoral was that? That got me, and I was like, dang, I, maybe I'm going through the motions this morning. That's a good word. And then when it t- came time for communion, what did he did? Hey, if you don't know what communion is, let me explain this. Let me make it real simple. And he taught, so it was a pastor teacher, a shepherd teacher. It's a both and. And so look, as we kind of zoom back out, there's a lot of overlap here. The guy writing this letter, Paul, seems to fit in all of these categories. Certainly an apostle, definitely an evangelist, times where he certainly looks like a prophet. He's teaching and pastoring us well here. (laughs) So there's a lot of overlap. So as you think about this through this lens, just like in basketball, if your coach is like, well, you play the four, are you the one, are you a five? Man, some guys don't fit the mold perfectly and they're kind of this hybrid spot. That's okay. As we think through these lenses, try to just wrestle with like, where has the Lord gifted me? Where does it seem like he's using me? He's calling me. If none of these seem to touch home, that's fine, but let's pray and let's ask the Lord to open our eyes to it. So it says, Christ gave these offices, likely he means these these people who would serve in these ways in a full-time capacity. We would think of the people on staff here to do what? Verse 12 to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the body of Christ. So now we're introduced to a new category of people, the saints. So it seems that Paul is likely saying, there are these people who do these roles to equip the saints. And in this context, it seems most likely that he's talking about us, the laity, those of us who aren't on staff. And for clarity, am I saying you have to be a paid evangelist to be an evangelist? Absolutely not, (laughs) but, Christ has given these gifts, these offices, these roles to the church to equip the saints, that's us, the laity, for the work of ministry. In here right now, we've got, we've got Andy and we've got Chris Morgan, men's staff. How much ministry can they do if there's a 100 of us versus the two of them? Isn't it fitting that their job is to equip us for the work of ministry? Sometimes we have this preconceived idea that the pastors are supposed to do all the work and we're just consumers. That's not what what Paul is explaining here. We are meant to be equipped. That word equipped, the same root word is used in Matthew chapter four, when Peter and his brother are mending their nets. They've been fishing and their nets are torn up and they're sewing them up, they're repairing them, they're mending their nets that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teachers, the teachers, the Sunday morning experience is meant to equip us to mend our nets so that we might do what with our nets? Go fishing. Sometimes we, we have a tendency as men, a default to be a fish that swims in in the masses on a Sunday morning, for example, Looks to be a consumer and say, well, that was funny, that wasn't, that was convicting, that doesn't really apply to me. Swim back out, be movie critics and move on with our lives. We aren't called to be fish. We're called to be fishermen. We're called to be fishers of men. So to echo what Terrence said on Sunday, we're meant to come in expectantly looking, asking, Lord, how can you mend these nets that I might be used by you to go and fish? So that's, that's why he has given these offices to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But we also have to acknowledge that we have a role to play and we have to acknowledge our, our limitations that we're all not gifted in the same way. Again, there is diversity, not uniformity. So on, on uh Derby day that morning, my dad and I went fishing at, I've talked about fishing a lot today, at a local farm pond over by their house. And uh, we were just using artificial And I like a Texas rig. If you're a fisherman, you know what that means. If you don't, Chris Burke, just to make it clear, you put the hook into the worm so that nothing's sticking out, makes it real easy. Uh, I like a little sliding bullet weight on mine because I can cast it further because there's some weight. That's how I like to fish it. My dad does not like a weight on his. He likes his almost weightless. So it suspends in the water column and looks lifelike. And to be honest, this morning, he caught more fish than I did, but we have different styles but here's the here's the kicker i hooked into a fish that i can only assume was the largest in the lake and it snapped my line and so i had to go retie and i go to retie and guess what i don't have in my tackle box any more sliding weights dang it hey dad you have any you have any of those bullet sliding weights yeah sure take whatever you need he he doesn't use them they were in his tackle box solely for me i got them out i used it i retied and i got right back to fishing he had exactly what I needed. It was really about no use to him personally, but it is what I needed to mend my net to get me back to fishing. You see what I'm saying? We, we can sometimes feel like, man, I don't have a role to play. And what you don't recognize is that the dude sitting right next to you needs exactly what the Lord has given you such that we need each other. <laughs> That's where this unity comes in. We are meant to fish together. So, we have a responsibility to fish we we have to acknowledge our own limitations in that and the result of that verse 12 ends with the body of christ is built up going into verse 13. until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, that is Christ. So what does it look like if we live this out? It looks like unity, it looks like stability and maturity in the church. If we want a measuring rod regarding the gifts, whatever yours is, whatever they are, whichever ones are active today, if we're doing it right, it should look like a church that is united and mature and stable. We're not tossed around by winds and waves. We're stable. We don't act like children. We act like mature men. We are united. That, that's, that's our measuring rod. And each one of us have a role to play in that. How do I know that? because that's what the next verse says, verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When each part, each ligament works together. Maybe you've torn a ligament in your knee and you've learned firsthand how vital every single little piece of tendon and ligament is. That's the body that Christ has designed, that God has given, that every one of us would use whatever gift to whatever measure he's given us, would lean and engage and use that. And so before we kind of go to table time and, and turn to look inward and even to look around, I'm gonna call us to look up. We'll have to pause and ask, how, how, how can Parker step in and provide unity? How can Adam step in and provide maturity in, in the body? How can Barry step in and be a source of stability in this church? But before we turn to think about ourselves, one, I, I just want us to look up. So let's read verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. You're like, what does that have to do with looking up? <laughs> and in, in the English, you probably see for almost all of our translations, that's the start of a new section. It feels like, well, that's a whole different topic. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk like the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. As I, as I was studying this passage, I, I think I've found something that I haven't seen before in Ephesians and I want to share this with you guys. We're going to learn a new word this morning. It's a fun one. It's called a chiasm, C-H-I-A-S-M, chiasm. And a chiasm is a literary device that's used a lot in scripture to, to not only convey and teach a certain point, but also to help you remember truths. And so a chiasm, it can be short or long, but essentially you get information. There's a point at which it it pivots and it mirrors itself on the opposite side. And so we might think of a saying like, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. If you fail to prepare, you're pre- preparing to fail. Like they convey a truth and, and it reflects on itself. We don't really think about those in detail, but that's, that's the literary device. So if you catch verse 17, I have a slide that's gonna pop up. It's a lot of information, that's okay. All you need to see is colors. All you need to see is colors and track with me, okay? So in verse 17, we get some similar language to what we see in verse one, that when we are in the Lord, this is how we are to walk, okay? If, that's, if this is one giant chiasm, we should see as we move in, there should be a focal point in the center where it reflects and we should see corresponding language throughout. So as you move in in both directions, there's a call to love each other, there's language about being united. As you move further in, there's a lot of doctrinal truths. As you move further in in yellow, you see he gave. And then in the center, we see he ascended, descended, it flips, descended, ascended. Why in the world would I take the time to walk through that this morning and be nerdy? Because the focal point of this passage is not spiritual gifts. The focal point of this passage is not if I am a prophet or not. The center of this whole teaching of Paul that we see as being about spiritual gifts is about the person and work of Jesus Christ. The, the one who was ascended on high, who stepped out of eternity past and came down and, and as verse 8 says, he, he, he defeated his enemies. He, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. He came down and he, he defeated the powers of darkness. And in the ancient world, there was this custom, oftentimes, that if you defeated a people group, your enemies, you would put them in shekels and you'd put them in a, a line behind you and you'd do a parade through your town. We think of like a Super Bowl Lombardi Trophy parade, right? everybody from the town lines the streets and they're all praising about the victory that was won and in the ancient world if you conquered your enemies the people would come out and say that was our oppressives oppressors those were the people who attacked us and so then the generals and and the commanders of the army that had been victorious would then as they lead their captives behind them their enemies, they would take their goods, the 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 spoils of victory, and would share that with the people in the town. They would say, "Hey, here's some of their gold. Here's some of their cattle. Enjoy it." And so, when the people would see the money, when they would see the treasure and the spoils, it would be reminded. Of, it would remind them of the victory that was won on their their behalf. Jesus came down, and he he defeated the powers of darkness, principalities, and rulers. He defeated sin and death itself. He conquered them. He put him put them under his feet. He ascended on high and all power and authority has been given to him. And in light of that, what did he do? He gave gifts. Whenever we use our gifts that have been given to us by our victorious king, it declares his victory. It celebrates the victory he won. And it it edifies those around us. So in the coming weeks, when we really dive into taking spiritual gift tests and studying out what they are, I just want to call you guys to regularly remember this image that whatever wisdom we gain, whatever insight we learn, we need to regularly remember that this is about glorifying our king who won the battle. It's about providing unity, stability, maturity in the church around us. And if we do that, it glorifies God and builds those up around us and the body is edified. And that seems to be the design that Paul is communicating that the Lord has provided. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the victory you won for us. Thank you that in light of that victory, you have given gifts to men. Uh, This week and in the weeks to come, Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what those gifts are for us as individuals. Would you use the men at these tables to encourage one another, to edify one another, maybe to speak life and truth into one another um, so that we can step in I know some of us feel real confident about where you've called us. Some of us feel completely lost and uncomfortable. Would you use us to provide stability for one another, to encourage one another towards maturity? Uh, Would you help us to be charitable this week and the weeks to come that even when we disagree on certain topics, would you help us to remember that there is one Lord and one faith and one baptism and that it is you that unites us? Would you do these good gifts and and this good work for our good and for your glory, we ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen.